it's the sweetest thing to recognize that something is challenging for you or maybe you can't do or you need help with or you haven't figured out yet, but to allow, open that door, allow anyone around you the opportunity to help. It's a win-win. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Eduardo Garcia is a professional chef who owns retail food brand Montana Mex. Mexican-inspired line of organic, non-GMO condiment sauces, seasonings, and avocado oil. He's known as the bionic chef because he cooks with a prosthetic left arm, the result of an accident while hunting in 2011. His story is the subject of the feature-length documentary, Charged. Eduardo is an avid outdoorsman, fisherman, hunter, triathlete, and motivational speaker. Eric and I recorded this episode in front of a live audience at the 2019 No Barriers Summit in Lake Tahoe, California. Enjoy. We saw from the film, you you seemed really upbeat. Like we watched the chronology of your 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 incident take place, and over those nine to ten days, those first nine to ten days. I mean, you had a smile on your face throughout. Were you, were you, were you putting on a front or was that legit? Man, it's a documentary film. <laughs> I was on a lot of drugs. <laughs> I was on all of them. Yeah. And, uh, Power through pharmacology. No, but, but ignorance, you know, there's, uh, there's a certain amount of my situation that I had no idea that I would have 21 surgeries or that I would be in ICU for 50 days. Or I didn't know what I was heading in for. And so the beauty of getting kicked down so hard is that at your core, I think we only know how to fight. And I always use sort of the example that when a baby's born, I've never had a kid, but this is, I think, my understanding, is that <laughs> when, a, <laughs> when a baby is born, they come out fighting and kicking and screaming and charging. It's not peaceful. Yeah. It's a violent And so I think at the event. baseline of alchemy is letting your core take over. Awesome. Edub, what do you got to say on that? You're kind of the master of alchemy. <laughs> well, I think um, it's maybe TV's fiction that like when you're walking down the street and you smash your toe into the curb and blood is just gushing like a geyser everywhere that you look down and you say what a great opportunity for growth that's just not i don't think that's quite the way it really works you know i think you have to lay on your belly and kick and scream and rail against how unfair life is and and then you pick yourself up uh, so you have to dwell in that pain for a while. And then I think you got to get up. And the quicker you can get up. The irony, I guess, is that I think for me, I've learned that you have to, you do have to go down deep. And once you've done it, 
you say, okay, I'm done with that, and you move forward. And I think even science shows that the faster, the more effectively we do that. We take the bad things that happen to us and we harness the energy uh, and we use it as a catalyst to propel ourselves forward. The better places we go, the healthier we are, the longer we live. So I think it's a, I think it's a message born into science. Awesome. I'm going to do one more and then we're going to open it up because this one, this one's one that, that, you know, Eric and I have talked about for decades now. And especially when we, we started to craft up what would later be No Barriers Warriors. But Eduardo, you mentioned that the emotional healing that you went through was easily more challenging than the physical healing. Um, and there was a, there was a line in your, in the film where your daddy says that with happiness, you can't lose patience with yourself. Right. So we heard that dialogue and, you know, we wonder we saw you as a therapist and and uh, and so forth, you know, trying to work through the emotional pain that went through that. I think a lot of people here can relate to that idea of we, we, we kind of focus on these physical injuries and these physical challenges. But what perhaps mm -hmm. is more profound and harder to reach are the emotional ones. So you care to talk about that in just a minute? Yeah, 100 percent for me. The, the physical part was always the easiest and I felt like the physical part you can more easily um, it, it's you can see it you can scratch it you can sniff it it's all you know you can we can't all see it but you know what I mean <laughs> you know it's just more accessible to us I wasn't gonna say it was a good one though. thank you <laughs> that's what I was um, and and yet I, I I believe that we're all made different we're all we're definitely all made very differently and for me accessing my emotional side I wear my heart on my sleeve and yet I still don't believe that means all of your emotions are readily accessible and in ICU one of my nurses Jenny Moriarty in just an easy conversation she just said hey make sure that you give yourself time to grieve make sure you give yourself time to be sad about this whole thing you know, make sure you give yourself time to process the emotional. And um, I was like, yeah, thanks. I got it. You know, we're good. Yeah. But I, I don't know if I did the hand, but like I was, you know, I was, but I typical. I was like, oh, we're good. And, and uh, Jenny Jane, who my ex-girlfriend and caregiver, we were sitting next to each other watching. So Eric, she would have been on my left side. And we were watching a laptop, you know, watching the film, watching a movie. And I, I caught myself, I was hanging in, in, in my bed, and I caught myself putting my left hand on her right knee and watching a movie, you know, friend. And then at some point, it hit me that it, there's no way my left hand could be on her right knee because I didn't have a left hand anymore. And my body was still in memory of this 30-year-old attribute that I had. And so I think I started to realize that the emotional part was this deep, layered bit that I had to get to. And the only way that the way I accessed it was through community. I mentioned the Challenge Athletes Foundation last night, you know, in my in my talk and how integral they were into saying, hey, you're not, you know, uh, <clears throat> Thomas Kane, 18 years old, Central Park is my first time going out on a run with Challenge Athletes Foundation. And this 18 year old walked up and I've seen this happen so far this weekend here at No Barriers in that who was it? Gabriel mentioned to my nephew last night, he's like, is it kind of weird being the only one without a disability? 
you know, <laughs> like at this event, you know. And so, so true to when my first CAF event was Thomas Kane at Central Park. He looked at me and I showed up in my running shorts. It was going to be a 5K. And he saw my prosthetic and he said, are you going to run with that? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, like I do everything with this. And, and he left, let it be, but he got like a chink in my, my armor and he got me thinking like, well, why am I going to run with this clunky piece of metal like dangling off my body? And he convinced me to take it off and I did. And it was the first time in three years that I had been in public with my, you know, exposed or my, my, my forearm. Why is it my exposed forearm? It's just my forearm, you know, but not with the hand attached. So it was new to me to see in public. And running felt easier. And, and, that, and so ever since that moment through CAF, and this is what I'm sure we all experienced with the group like No Barriers, is you almost get licensed to just feel and be as you are. And that was the beginning of my emotional journey. Repeat the question. All right. Well, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the emotional healing versus the physical healing. Your transition into blindness um, you know, happened over a, a pretty lengthy period of time for people who don't know. Eric was born legally blind, but it was over the course of his youth that he finally went completely blind. So did you, do you feel like that that was a, uh, that was, that was a, a positive part of this experience is the fact that you got to transition into blindness? Or if, you know, do you think maybe something like happened to Eduardo, it was a sudden just right. clap of life? which would be harder to grasp? Well, Eduardo's is like a door slamming, and mine's <clears throat> like a door squeaking closed over years. <laughs> so I don't know what, what what's worse. <laughs> it's all, it's it, none of it's great. <laughs> but it was a healing component <laughs> to emotionally as well, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. as a kid, you probably didn't address this idea of healing emotionally when you were no. a little kid. When I was in Connecticut, uh, I grew up in Connecticut, and the, we used to have raccoons that would break through our screen door and get into our garbage. And one night I came across this raccoon. He was cornered, and I could still see a little bit, and his shiny little eyes were in the corner, and he was snarling at me. So that's all I was when I went blind. I was a little snarling raccoon in the corner, just lashing out at the world. And you go into this very primitive state, I, I did. And uh, so, yeah, to... Get out of that primitive state, that fight or flight is a really hard thing. Sometimes people never get out of it or they kind of linger back and forth in that. So, yeah, it took a lot to get out of that, to sort of realize, okay, one, I just have to sort of accept what's happened to me. I, you know, it doesn't matter how much I deny that this has happened to me. It's, it's happened. And uh, if I don't learn the tools and I don't develop the mindset to embrace this thing and figure out how to climb my way out. That's how I'm going to push the parameters. And so uh, I realized that I had to learn the tools of blindness, you know, had to learn to use a cane, had to learn to read Braille. Those are the things that actually brought me back to the world, you know, standing up in class and reading a poem. Uh, I'm reading it with my fingers or uh, being able to you know, walk down the hallway with my friends tapping a cane instead of, or, or using my guide dog, those brought me back to the world. So yeah, I think the physical and the, and the emotional kind of go together. In fact, those of you who are participated in No Barriers experiences, you know that, that there's a physical piece of the journey and there's this deeper emotional part of the journey where you're sort of turning into yourself 
and diving deep into your own psyche and saying, what are the things that are killing me and sabotaging me? And what are the things that are working for me? So I think uh, part of this no barriers experience is trying to tap into that light that we have inside of us. There's a big innovation theme that happens. We also talk a lot about innovation, but we're going to come back to that. So I think it's time for y'all to be able to ask something. Um, so let's throw a hand up. If you got a good question out there, anybody and everybody, raise your hand real All high. All right, we got one over here. And we'll ride a mic over to you. Fire away. So both of you talk about in your documentaries um, the importance of preparing for transformative experiences. Eduardo, you talked about hiking, being therapeutic, and getting out into the wilderness. And Eric, you talked a lot about feeling the river and stuff like that. What are your, for people that are looking for healing through transformative experiences, what is your advice to help us prepare ourselves for those experiences? A shameless plug, join a no barriers program. <laughs> there you go, you heard it. No, I really do think sometimes we, we're just hammering forward. We're firing forward in our lives. And sometimes it's a really important thing to step back and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this program some kind of program, some kind of experience where I'm rebooting. You know, I'm taking some of the things that have sabotaged me and I'm going to rework them and I'm going to come together with a great team and I'm going to learn how to trust that team and how to lift each other up in the right way and face some adversity together and have a cool summit, a celebration, and then figure out how to use that whole experience now to elevate ourselves and push forward a little bit more than we could have otherwise. So I, yeah, that's why we created No Barriers, to create these experiences for people to, to reboot and to reclaim. And uh, I think it's a, a lot of it's working. Yes. <laughs> you got something to add on that? Yeah, I'll be short this time around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I would simply say that one of so many different tools that anyone could use prior to going in to try and rebuild or reinvent or remodel or build from scratch if you're just starting from dust is to believe you'll recognize it maybe after, but just have faith. Have faith and believe that some wild mojo of the world is present, it's like wild yeast and sourdough. <laughs> and when you're rolling through the rapid sections and you can maybe hear 80% of what's coming through the mic, but there's a thousand percent of you that's right in that kayak. And I've never been kayaking, but I saw it, you know, and you just have to, um, you have to own exactly where you are. You have to be present and you have to just get after it and, and with everything you have, you know, no, no lukewarm, hot, cold, decided. And, uh, and, and then outside of all that, ask for help. Be humble. Ask for help. It's the sweetest thing to recognize that something is challenging for you or maybe you can't do or you need help with or you haven't figured out yet. But to allow, open that door, allow anyone around you the opportunity to help. It's a win-win. So that, that'd be my advice. I think, Eduardo, I, I want to comment on that because I think that's really, I'm glad you tapped into that because it's a hard thing to talk about. And sometimes organizations and movements, you know, you want to be so inclusive. So it's, you know, sometimes these things are hard to talk about. But I do think it is a decision that we make that 
it's a good journey, that the river carries us forward in a great positive way. It's not this demon that's like ready to crush us, you know, that it, it's not just this thing that destroys you. It's, it's a good journey. There's going to be challenge along the way, but it is a fundamental decision that it is a good journey. And that is faith. That is belief. That is spirituality, whatever that, that is for you. Because it kind of defies reason. It, it's sort of counterintuitive. And um, it kind of goes beyond the evidence, you know, the physical stuff in the world. Exactly. That was a really good question. So if anybody can come up with one that's just as good as that, you're on. Um, yep, Miss Karen down there. Hand that lady a mic. So I've never had a physical disability type of injury like that, but I think all of us have had these major changes in our lives that we think this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And now in my older age, I would say I look at the things I really thought were the worst thing that could ever happen, and I know they're the best thing that ever happened. And so I try to use that as a... Um, maybe is anything ever really bad? Because once we see it down the road, are the, can we use it in the present to not look at things so negatively? Can you guys comment on that? Do you feel that way? That's a hard question. Like, oh, I'm so glad I lost my <laughs> arm and I'm so happy, you know, I lost my sight. Um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Good one. Yeah, take a stab at that one. I wouldn't say that I'm happy I went blind. I just think you have to take the things that happened to you and and figure out the energy behind them and use them and roll with them and and go and use that energy to go to a place that honestly you may not have gone to in any other way. And it's you know like people say like if you could have seen you would you be kayaking and climbing? Probably not because I the only reason I started climbing was I I couldn't play baseball anymore. So loss begins to transform uh, into other things, creation, innovation, strong teams. And so for me, one of the backwards gifts of blindness was that it's forced me when I want to do big things to trust people and to build these great teams around me. So yeah, for sure, I think if I had seen, I might have missed some of these great lessons and i do have such a great team i get way too much credit in this film because harlan and rob like these guys are they're working this little remote control blind guy down the rapid and they're getting knocked over themselves if you notice you know that's incredible jeff when he said on everest he was a star of the this film did you guys notice that or were you in a hat he was saying stand up <laughs> He's trying to crawl up Everest. This is like the first blind guy, first guy to crawl up Everest. That was <laughs> so Jeff and uh, has been an incredible part of my rope team. Diedrich back there. I mean, you look at these folks from No Barriers running around, making all this happen for us all. Kelly and Lisa and yeah. all the folks just running around, working so hard. I mean, the, the, I I think everyone should turn to the rope team in their, in their lives and say thank you uh, because they're the ones that deserve that. They're the ones that lift us up. And that's what I appreciate about going blind is the, the gifts that came out of it. I think... Um, and my family. 
<laughs> yeah, I think how to harness the negative, you know, and um, I'm not an electrician, but my experience of 2,400 volts tells me that a hundred you feel 100% of 2,400 volts. You don't just get to feel the positive. You don't just get KO'd by the negative. You know, like sometimes the sometimes the most sincere love hurts. So I think actually we're born getting the positive and the negative, and we we li- we, we we allow ourselves over time to just get used to or attracted to the the sweet dollops of cream and the easier ways out, but rather a good sweat, a good suffer fest, you know, a good hair-raising expedition with your rope team, whether that's in business, whether that's in romance, whether that's in anything, you know, like a good putting yourself against the line is how we feel most alive. And so, if anything, my gratitude went 10x after my injury for everything, for every little thing, for the... For the up, the down, the high, the high, the low. Um, let's do one more question down here real quick. Yes, sir. Um, both of you share a love for the environment and living in the moment. How do you, one of the things I try to work with children or young people is distancing themselves from their technology. Would you like to discuss that? The lack of connectivity with the environment that you find so dear that it brought you so far. For, you know, la- la- for me... Um, I, I I made a deal with my family after my injury that I would try to hike alone less and I would always do my best to remain in contact with them. So my relationship with technology, my digital devices, with my phone, GPS, whatever it may be, I use them as a tool and I respect them for exactly how they serve my life. But And I don't hold anything against them. It's my choice how I interact with it. And the, the tool should not be blamed for how I use it. You know, so that, that's kind of my approach to it. So with kids, it's the same. If I, I would rather spend less time fighting a kid to put it down and rather get them to tip naturally through their own tipping point into being more in awe with what is around them. And then if they can take a photo and share it or, or do what they want with it and it has them now sharing that love with someone else, I'm like, do it. Go for it. That's my spin. Hmm. Yeah, I think we struggle with that at No Barriers. You know, a lot of our youth programs, I think they're still phone free. Um, it's a part of our lives. And yeah, I think it is a double edged sword because technology, like, you don't have to go to Cambodia anymore and see Anchor Wat. You can just check it out online from your couch. So it is a double edged sword. Um, I think for me personally, it's been fun, like, getting into rivers bringing my family on these river adventures and all of us on the river together, you know, maybe I'm in a kayak and my kids are in duckies. Uh, some of them rafts, you know, we're all challenging ourselves. We're learning how to interact in nature. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of is, you know, like when my kids and Ellie came at the end of that Grand Canyon trip, there was actually a giant rainstorm in it. And there was a tr- torrential river co- going across the the road and it washed out the road and we were stuck there for more than 24 hours and ellie said um well i mean the kids aren't unhappy they're neck deep in mud puddles just sitting there playing in the mud yeah and i love that to me i'm very proud of that because uh 
my kids have learned how to create in nature, how to play, how to be little pigs in the mud and uh, to build forts. And, you know, some kids, I think, you know, get into nature and they're like, what do I do? How do I interact with this environment? It just takes practice. So I would say as a family, get out there. And as a parent, don't just sit there on a rock and tell your kids to play. Get out there and play and explore with them because your kids need to see you exploring and challenging yourself as well. Well said. All right, let's do another audience question. Somebody raise your hand high. Yeah, I see two youngins over there. Get them a mic. That's a little sure enough. <laughs> okay, so um, Eduardo, I was wondering if you had a chance to go back to the moment when you um, got injured. Would you change anything, do anything different? I always said that I'd pay a million bucks if I had a million bucks for a video of the whole thing and how it went down so I could tick off some of the questions I've never been able to answer. But directly to your question, I wouldn't, go, I wouldn't change a thing. I am at peace. I am filled with love. I am a super happy, fortunate individual right here, right now. And I wouldn't change that for anything. Nice. Great. Good question. Young Sherna. I've got one over right. here. Who else? We got another one? <laughs> Eric, this is mostly for you. Uh, it seems like you obviously have to rely on your sense of hearing so much in all of your adventures. And I was wondering if there's a, any particular sounds that strike an emotional chord with you, winds howling on top of the mountain, or a certain rapid that you remember or even like on the other end, like a happy sound uh, that is always a relief for you uh, every time you hear it. Or maybe just my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Your sexy 70s voice. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Um, yeah, I mean, as a blind person, you not only have to get information from your other senses, but you also have to receive beauty and feel beauty through your other senses. Uh, because somebody can describe a beautiful sunset, but that's once removed. So I'm really the biggest beautiful things are the things you can sense directly. So like right now I'm distracted because these kids are off here just squealing and having so much fun with this little game they're playing. That's totally joyful to me. Um, climbing a frozen waterfall and taking my glove off and touching the ice and feeling those trunks of ice just rolling down in an eternal way. It's beautiful. And uh, feeling the rock under my hands, uh, sensing the sound of space, of sound vibrations. Um, when I was up on Everest, we were supposed to head up the Lhotse face. Jeff, you might remember this. And there was a big storm. And we sat. I sat there in front of my tent at 22,000 feet listening to the sky. And the lightning would strike and the thunder would boom. And it would light up the sound. It would echo across the Kumbu, the, the Western Kum. And I could hear the mountains, like the mountains, like they lit up and I could see them in my mind. So yeah, there's a lot of great stuff out there that you can experience without sight. By the way, I spent that whole night scared we were going to get struck by lightning. <laughs> he was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> um, let's, uh, Eduardo, actually, let me just actually segue to you. Did your relationship with cooking change after your injury in a tactile way? Because we're talking about sort of tactile input oh yeah most profoundly because i kept dropping stuff huh. like 
everyone thinks it's cool because I don't cut off my fingers anymore on my left hand. <laughs> yep. And I can grab hot bacon out of a skillet and Ooh, nice. check the pasta in the boiling water like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's pretty tight. Nice. <laughs> Super power. Industry trick. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, no, because it's a small industry, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, my trick. <laughs> but, uh, gosh, uh, more humility. I let myself go. You know, I, I, I went to, oh, I was flipping burgers and throwing pizza at 15 for, for coin for work. And, and then I went to school out, right outside of high school. And I remember being in cooking school and, and we were learning the fundamental building blocks of this trade of cooking. And I remember having a, a, like a ruler on my cutting board. So when I was learning how to do a brunoise cut, 16th of an inch, I'd be like measuring it, you know, quarter inch. And you get so precise. And then I, so as a young 20 year old and going into, private chefing. I was just super, I, I didn't let a lot slide. You know, I was like just really hard edged about it. And so then after this happened, I, I could, I was not as fast and I would not be as fast and I was not as fluid. And so I had to find the dance. I had to find a new dance. I had to find a new way that it felt that I found flow. And, and it was letting like, I'm sorry, if I make you chicken soup right now, your carrot will all be different sizes. That's just how it is. You know, so I focus on other things. I focus on my intentionality, my intentional relationship to food, why I'm making it, who I'm making it for, and less on the perfection. So, um, <laughs> hey, I think we've got one more question from the audience. It's related back to the the idea and the difference between the emotional and the physical trauma that you guys both have experienced and just all these people in the audience have. Um how would you say you came to a place of acceptance? Because that's what I really struggle with uh, personally. And I feel like the transition from anger to acceptance is one of the most difficult things that I've dealt with personally. And I, and I would like to know how you guys overcame that. For me, it, there, there's a, you could say a lot on that. You could speak to that at length. So to, to summarize, I would say I would say take acceptance and give it a new, give it a facelift. Just give it, instead of, I think, I think acceptance is almost this third party experience. So I would say step into the driver's seat. That's what I, that's how I think it's worked best for me is take acceptance and turn it into ownership. Cause then you realize no matter what you have left, if your heart's beating and you're in the driver's seat, you can do something. Wiggle your toes, wiggle your eyebrows, get moving on it. Yeah. Own it. Awesome. You done? I think we do tend to get stuck in like a suspended animation, you know, where it's hard to go forward because of things like anger that become barriers in themselves. And change is, you know, obviously hard. I still find myself getting angry sometimes. Really? Yeah. Frustrated. Oh, really? Yeah. At you sometimes. <laughs> um, at getting older. Right? Like, oh, my back hurts, you know? That has nothing to do with blindness. And uh, <laughs> so I think, I think we hurt ourselves in a way by comparing ourselves to the person we used to be. I think Mandy actually told me an amazing story, Mandy Harvey, that when she went deaf, you know, she lingered in that sadness for a long time, stuck there, you know, and Eventually, she had to get actually angry about who she wanted to be, angry about, you know, separating herself from that person she used to be. And she kind of compared it to, like, 
stabbing a stake in a vampire's heart, you know, just you stab that stake and that thing and you say, okay, you are dead. Goodbye. Uh, and that kind of liberates you. I think we're always kind of in a weird way, like dying and being reborn, you know? Uh, and I think once you kill that thing of the past, it kind of enables you to be free and to be open to all the possibilities in front of us. You might have to do that every day until it becomes real. I heard a quote from Confucius recently, and it said that we're all provided two lives. The second one begins as soon as we acknowledge that the first one ends. Mm. I feel like that sits there. That's good. So I, every once in a while, bro, every once in a while. <laughs> um, so I'll finish with this. Obviously, Eric, Eric and I have done a lot of stuff together over the years. At the top of many mountains, at the end of many races, matter of fact, around right here, we did a 10-day race one time. We have tried to high-five each other a million times. You know how hard it is to high-five a blind dude? They saw. <laughs> so back to the movie, um, I'm just curious if you and Lonnie and the team ever perfected the high-five, the high, what do you call it, the high-paddle five? The blind five. The blind five. Did you ever get it right? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> no, I right. got lava, but I never got the blind five yeah. down. Well... I tell you what, Eric. Let's push our no. Let's push. Our, let's push to the summit. We should perfect like the high hook. Oh, I like it. Right, high hook. Yeah, well done. That <laughs> was too it. easy. That was too easy. Nailed it. Hey, Eduardo, <laughs> Eric, thank you, man. You <laughs> guys, are, you guys awesome. are fantastic. Yeah. Really, pleasure. You inspired us all. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for being here. That was amazing. Oh, man, Eric, give me a hug, yeah, man. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. The production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Cotman, and marketing support by Heather Zocali, Stevie DiNardo, and Erica Hoey. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it here with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com.